the Messiah, he's here. Simon, he's here. When that happens to us and we find Jesus, we tell our brother, our sister, our friend, our co-worker, we tell our relative, we tell our parents, we even tell our enemy because they need to hear most of all about Jesus. So he goes and finds Simon Peter and leads him to Jesus Christ. What's interesting to me, and it's really not part of my sermon, is that Andrew is the one that tells Simon Peter about Jesus. But then right after that, Andrew kind of goes in the background. And Peter becomes the prominent disciple. Peter becomes the one that's the spokesperson of the twelve. Peter becomes the one that is in the inner circle. Andrew's not in the inner circle. Andrew's like, hey, what's up, Jesus? I was the first, I was one of the first ones, and I don't get to be in the inner circle. That's not what it was meant to be. Andrew was still part of the twelve, but Peter, he's the one that was given the keys to the kingdom. And that's why on the day of Pentecost, as you know the story, when, when Peter was preaching, because all those that were gathered around says, what's going on on the first day of the church? Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, and he says, let me tell you what you ought to do. Yes, you're pricked in your heart after I preach the message that you crucified the Messiah. Well, this is what you have to do. Jesus gave me the keys. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. And you need to receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. He had the keys to open the kingdom of heaven. That was Simon Peter. He preached that message and he was introduced to Jesus by Andrew. This was the very best day in Andrew's life. It was the very best day in Peter's life. But then the next day, in verse 43 of chapter 1, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Follow me. So now we have Andrew, we have Peter, and we have Philip. Follow me. Now, when Jesus did his earthly ministry, he always said, follow me. Follow me. He he didn't call them to just join a church for membership. He just didn't tell them to show up at 1030 and enjoy the service. He did not tell them to just believe a certain doctrinal statement. All of that is important. We have to have clear doctrine. But when he told people to follow me, He says, he is saying, come be a disciple. Come be a part of what I'm doing. Come join into what I am trying to do in the world. And when he calls us today, he's saying the same thing. He wants us to be disciples of him and to follow him. You'll follow him into truth. You'll follow him into a local church that preaches the truth. You'll follow him into the Bible. You'll follow him into worship. You'll follow him into consecration. You'll follow him into things that make you a true disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people out there nowadays that just want to put on the label Christianity, but they're not followers of Jesus Christ. But when there's someone that's in search of a Savior, when there's someone that is desperate for a Savior, they're willing to follow that Savior because they know what that Savior did for them. Follow me. That was the call of Jesus Christ to Philip, and that is the call to us today. 
follow him. Follow him. So, let me take a drink of water. Philip then finds Nathaniel. I think, you know, if, if you heard me preach before, I always think the Bible is very interesting. And I should. We all should think it's interesting. But if you just see how this plays along, as soon as Philip was called to follow Jesus, Philip found Nathaniel. Jesus finds Philip, and then Philip finds Nathaniel. And Philip doesn't just say, hey, Nathaniel, meet me. He says, meet Jesus. You've got to meet Jesus. The same kind of deal with Andrew and Simon Peter. Philip is saying, Nathaniel, you've got to meet Jesus. Now, I know you're awesome. We're all awesome here today. And I know you're a wonderful person. You're a great person. And I know you're a godly ambassador of Jesus Christ. But make sure that the relationships that you have your co-workers and your family, that they don't just know you as an awesome person, but they get to know Jesus as your Savior. Make sure that you don't just introduce yourself. Make sure you introduce the one that has made a life-changing impact on you. Because you see Andrew, he couldn't contain it. You see Philip, he couldn't contain it. He says, I cannot keep this for myself. Nathaniel, you've got to meet Jesus. The one that has changed my life. So verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You're going to have that verse memorized by the end because I just said that for the third time. You're going to be a Bible quizzer before you know it. The problem is I'm reading out of the English Standard Version and Bible quizzing does it in King James Version. This is a big, big deal. We found him. We found him. We found him. Not just one of many options. Not just one prophet. From the book of Genesis all the way till this moment in time, everybody has been looking forward. Everybody has been looking in advance. I hope I could portray this in the right way. Not until this time has this ever happened. Generation, generation to generation. Decades, centuries, thousands of years have passed and and the Word of God has been written and people have been looking forward to this time. But now, He's here. Right here, right now. What I think is funny is that Philip says he finds Jesus And I know a lot of us say that, but in reality, we know that Jesus found Philip. But let's just say they're both right. Jesus found Philip, but when that happened, Philip discovered that Jesus was his Savior. And so Philip can go and say, yeah, Jesus found me, but I found out who he really is. And let me tell you what I found. In search of a Savior. In search of a Savior. And so we go through the history of the Bible as 
as Philip is saying to Nathaniel, it's, it's what Moses and the law wrote. It's, it's from the Old Testament on, from Genesis, for the very first uh, prophetic uh, word of, of who Jesus the Messiah would be, all the way from them in the Garden of Eden where, where it says that the seed of the woman, the descendant of woman, would bruise the serpent, the seed of the serpent. That very first telling of the Messiah, all the way from that point on until now, there were prophecies about His coming. Can you imagine what that was like. To help us kind of capture that picture, think here for a minute that we're expecting something to happen too. And it's been preached about for decades and centuries and for a couple thousand years. We're expecting his second coming. And it's going to happen. He's coming back again with power and glory. He's going to catch us away in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At that last trump, the trump's going to sound and we're going to be caught away. Faith, I'm excited about that. I've heard it all my life. I've been in services and they don't have this anymore where I left trembling as a child thinking that God was going to come that night. I've woken up in my home and I thought my parents and all my siblings had been taken in the rapture and I'm all by myself and I'm left behind. It's going to happen, but can you imagine that that's not always going to be the future? At some point, David, we're going to say, it's now. It's now. He's come. Our Savior has come. He's come back to take His church. That's what Andrew is to Simon. Simon, the Messiah we studied about, he's here. That's what Andrew is saying to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, can you believe it? Of all people, not only is he in our town, our city, our block, our street, he's right here. And he spoke to me, and he said to me, Follow me in search of a Savior. In search of a Savior. This coming Messiah was the focal point of the writing of the whole Old Testament Scripture. There are hundreds of biblical references pointing to the Messiah. Hundreds. 39 books. Many different writers. One author. One author. Peter Stoner, he was a chairman of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College. He's long passed away. You may have heard of him. He wrote uh, some books, and, and one is Science Speaks. And um, he was passionate about biblical prophecy. So he gathered his some students, and they did a study. Uh, they took eight specific prophecies that lined up with Jesus Christ. And he engaged his students in a study of probability. What is the probability that one man can fulfill all eight prophecies? Now, my background's engineering, so I like some stuff, but I don't like probability and statistics. I failed that course. made me feel dumb. All right? I did okay in everything else except for the senior class of probability and statistics. And I had a friend who slept through the class and aced every single test, and I was failing. And I was really mad at my friend because he's really weird. The only way you could pass that is you're weird. 
And so when you talk about probability and statistics, I just don't understand it. And if you understand it, you're weird. Sorry. So here's this professor who's also weird. Is he is studying probabilities, and he's asking his 600 students, who also must be weird, is that they're looking at the probability of eight prophecies. You have independent, dependent probabilities, and you've got to figure out how they all work together. Well, in any case, number one, there was um, to be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5 and 2. This was the first prophecy. Number two, born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. Number three, born of the lineage of David. Many scriptures uh, re relate to that, but Jeremiah 23 and 5, that was also written in 600, roughly 600 B.C. And the fourth one was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Um, hands and feet would be pierced. That's number five, Psalms uh, 22 and 16. That was written roughly 1,000 B.C. Then number six was casting lots for his clothing, Psalms 22 and 18. Number seven, he would appear riding on the donkey, Zechariah 9 and 9. Uh, number eight was a messenger would be sent to herald the Messiah, Malachi 3 and 1. So he took these eight, and he had them figure out what the probability was. Now, we know there's no collusion. There's no conspiracy of, from the Old Testament. They, they were separated by years, of thousands of years. They had no connections, a lot of the prophets and the, and the writers. They, they were holy men of God, Scripture said, that were, that were moved on by the Holy Ghost to write Scripture. Write Scripture. These prophets are not the author of the Bible, but God inspired them to write. So, when he does this whole calculation, whatever, he illustrated that, he showed that for all of these eight prophecies to correlate to one individual in any given time, the probability be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. All right? Now, let's put that in simpler terms. If you were to take odds of 1 to 10 and you were to put tickets in a little basket, mix it up, and mark one of the tickets red, and blindfold someone and says, put your hand in that bucket and pick out the red ticket. You have one in 10 chance, 10% odds. Not very good odds. Um, not very good gambling odds if you gamble, hope not. Um, not very good investment odds. If your investment were to return one in 10, that's not good. No one would do it. Well, this is one to 10, one in 10 to the 17. That's one with 17 zeros followed by it. That's a big number. I don't even know what that number is. So he illustrated this by saying, okay, let's just say we have 10 to the 17 power silver dollars. Let's take the state of Texas and let's cover the whole state of Texas with silver dollars. You would have two feet deep of silver dollars over the course of the gigantic, the biggest state in the 48. Alaska never counts. Oh, sorry, Sarah. I didn't realize we had an Alaskan here, sorry. Um, and Abby, I better be careful. Texas is bigger than most states. Um, so anyway, you have two feet deep worth of silver dollars. And you do the same thing. You would blindfold an individual, and you have them wade into the state of Texas and try to find a special coin that you marked. That's the odds that one person in all of human history would fulfill all eight of these prophecies. But can I tell you, there are no probabilities with God. God doesn't work in probables. He doesn't work with chance. He already knows what's going to happen. He controls the universe 
It's God who makes His Word come to pass. Nothing will ever fail that He said. It will be fulfilled. You can say it's impossible. It's not impossible with God. If He said it, He will fulfill it. If His Word promised it, it will happen. You can take His Word to the bank. He transcends time. He stakes... He stands outside of time. That's why we can take the book of the Bible and we can go all the way to Revelation and we can say, you've heard this before, I've read the back of the book, I've read the last sentence, I've read the last statement, and I know we win. God's already declared it. So there's no confusion. I don't have to figure out in life what to do. I just got to find out where's God. And how can I join with him? So when Philip told Nathaniel, we found him, we found him. This was a big, big deal. This is it. He's really come. This is him. Now, you can ask the question, well, how can I find him? Let me tell you how you can find him. You don't have to sift through 100 quadrillion silver coins. You don't have to sift through every single religion. You don't have to sift through every single doctrine. You don't have to travel the world into every single nation to see what is right and what's true. God didn't place that burden on us to try to sift through and try to figure out what's right. If you're in search of a Savior, Look to the Bible. Scripture says in Jeremiah 29 and 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you open up your heart and open up your Bible, you will find Jesus. If you're in search of a Savior, He's right here. If you're in search of a Redeemer, He's right here. There are no odds with God. He never rolled a dice. He never took a chance. He says, I am the Lord and I change not. I am the Almighty One. Well, let's get to Nathaniel. Nathaniel is skeptical because Philip says we have found him. But Philip, he said that Jesus was from Nazareth. And Nathaniel was, in verse 46, he says, really, seriously, Nazareth? You had me there, Philip. Good joke. We've been brothers. I understand this great, great joke, great prank. But can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, come on. Are you serious? That's not a religious town. He's not from Judea, Jerusalem, where the temple is. Th- this isn't it. Can any good come out of Nazareth? Seriously? But Philip didn't argue. I liked how Philip approached this. A lot of times we try to get in arguments and debates. When someone comes and says, seriously, you believe in Jesus? But Philip didn't argue. He said, there's only one thing you need to do, Nathaniel. Come and see. Why don't you just come and see, Nathaniel? Just be quiet. I've already told you, you can argue all day long, but why don't you come and see what I saw? Come and see the Savior. Now, there are a lot of skeptical people in this world. A lot of friends. I I know a lot of people that 
They've been told all kinds of things. They've grew, grown up in different environments. They don't know about the church. They, they definitely don't know about apostolics and, and Pentecostals. And, and my thing is I've always said, well, why don't you just come and see? Why don't you come to church with me and experience the presence of God? Because you cannot deny the presence of God. You cannot deny that God is moving in this place. So Nathaniel obliges. And he took Philip on the offer. And Nathaniel, and when Nathaniel came to Jesus, Jesus is meeting him for the very first time. In verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, we always think, if Jesus were ever to see us for the very first time, he would say, you no good dog, I saw what you did, I know what you thought, you miserable person, I finally get a chance to talk to you. I can't believe, Tim, that you would ever do that. No, he goes to Nathaniel and says, an Israelite, no deceit. Nathaniel kind of takes a step back and says, I don't even know you. Who, who are you? And he says that in verse 48, Nathaniel said, how do you know me? Jesus answered him before Philip called you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel is like, hold on, I've never seen you before, what's going on? You say I don't have any deceit, and now, what? I was all the way across town. You had no idea where I was, but you saw me under that fig tree, and something clicked. The Bible doesn't explain what happened there, or what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. If I'm okay, I'm just going to get a little extra biblical. You can ignore this portion if you want. But I believe Nathaniel had some serious conversations under that fig tree. And all Jesus had to do was say, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel, because he didn't have any deceit, I wonder if Nathaniel was saying, I don't know about life anymore. I'm frustrated. I have so many questions. I'm going to sit under this fig tree and I'm going to talk to you. Or maybe it was where Nathaniel always prayed to God every day. I don't know what it was, but we know Nathaniel didn't have any deceit. But there was something when God said, I saw you under that fig tree, that something changed in Nathaniel, and Jesus revealed something unique and powerful about his nature. That he wasn't just Jesus, a man, but he was God-man. That he was God manifest. In flesh. That he wasn't just there physically, but he saw in a whole different realm as God, Nathaniel, in a different place. And when he told Nathaniel that, he said, I saw you under the fig tree. Something changed in Nathaniel when Jesus revealed who he was. And just as he saw Nathaniel, he sees you and he sees me. The lady that started that church to those that were in search of a Savior. She is revealing and letting those people in Owensville, Missouri know that just as God saw Nathaniel, He sees you. 
You saw in the movie of addiction and, and broken homes and, and broken lives, and that's what Jesus sees. He sees you wherever you're sitting, whatever you are thinking. He saw you when you were questioning the things of life. Maybe you were questioning truth. Maybe you were questioning whether God really is real or if any of this is true. He sees exactly where you are. He's not just spying on you, waiting to pounce on you, waiting for you to do something wrong. He sees you where you are. He sees the heartache. He sees the depression. He sees the addiction. He sees those that are in search of a Savior. Someone that is searching for someone to set them free. Nathaniel was completely blown away in John chapter 1, verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathaniel understood his Bible. He understood growing up what this all meant. And in that moment of illumination and revelation, he realized who he was standing with. He says, you are God. You are God come in flesh. You are the King of Israel. You are the Messiah. Yet some of you sit here today with unresolved issues in your life about God. You may be thinking, I, I'm just trying to figure this out. I'm just trying to figure out how I'll pay my bills this week. I'm just trying to keep my marriage together. I'm just worried about my kids and where they'll end up and their safety and their protection. I'm, I'm worried about this virus. I, I'm worried about the, the politics of it all. I don't know what's going on. And you have res unresolved issues and questions in life. You feel like you'll just never understand. But can I help you understand that Jesus saw you when you were under that fig tree? Jesus sees you right where you're at. Again, I'm just preaching the Word of God. I'm just preaching a message. Please don't crucify the messenger. I'm just preaching to God that God wants to speak to us today. Maybe there's someone here today. Maybe it's just one person. And you've been questioning. You've been doubting. You've been striving. You've been torn between two things. And you're just not sure what's going to happen. God saw you in your private place. On your drive to work. At home in your closet, in your bedroom, just wondering when will this ever end? What is going on? God, help me. Give me a word. If you are in search of a Savior, you can find Him. You can know Him. John chapter 1 and 50. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? I think he's just saying, is that all it takes, Nathaniel? Seriously? That's not a big deal. As some people say, that you ain't seen nothing. You ain't seen nothing yet. And Jesus said, you will see greater things than these. Nathaniel, you've come in contact with something, someone just at the beginning, just at the start. Wait and see what's going to happen. Let me ask you some questions. Are you tired of drudgery, the drudgery of empty faith? Are you tired of wondering and questioning? Are you, are you tired of things in your life? Can I tell you, 
before you ever got to, He saw. He saw you. Now, you may have thought that I forgot the very first verse I read. I didn't. I promise there's no twist or turns. But I read a story about Zacchaeus. In search of a savior. I turned our attention to to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verse 2 and 4. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. They all had different stories of how they found Jesus. This church, Vertical Church, is here for those that are in search of a Savior. And, And I say that because I don't mind preaching to you all. But a lot of you have been in church for a long time. What I want to see come through those doors is someone that is broken and someone that is hurting. There are so many families in Denver that need Jesus, that are in search of a Savior. I don't believe pastor or vertical church ever just wants to preach to people that have it all together. I want dirty people to come into this house. I want all kinds of people to come into this house that are in search of a Savior. You see, Zacchaeus, he was rich. He was wealthy. Sometimes we have this preconceived idea of who is hungry for God. But even wealthy people have a God-shaped hole in their heart. And Zacchaeus, though, And everyone, whether you're poor, you're rich, or in between, we have to understand that we're poor in spirit. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Zacchaeus said, I cannot see Jesus. I'm in search of a Savior. Andrew was searching for a Savior. Philip was. Peter was. Nathaniel. And Zacchaeus wasn't part of that lot. But he was short. And there were people all around. And so he threw aside his status, his wealth, and what people thought. He says, I'm going to run ahead. I don't care what I look like, but I'm going to run ahead of the crowd. I'm going to climb this tree so I could see Jesus. And if I may just kind to color a picture here, I don't want vertical church and me to stand in the way of someone seeing Jesus. I don't want in any way my attitude, 
my outlook, my perception on that clerk that's helping me out in the grocery store. I'm so preconceived with my own stresses of the day that I completely ignore and I'm a person that could be a gateway and a conduit but instead I'm standing in the way of her seeing Jesus. I don't want when I come to church that in some way someone doesn't see Jesus because I can't lift up my hands and I can't worship God and I cannot allow God's Spirit to move in this place. Pastor preached two Sundays ago a move of God. If you didn't listen to that sermon, you need to listen to it because what I want to see is a move of God. I want God to move in our church. There are people that are in search of a Savior. There are people that need a Redeemer that have questions in their life. And I don't want to stand in the way. I don't want someone to have to run and and try all kinds of things just to look over all the people that are closest to Jesus just so they can get a glimpse. Yes, I understand people are hypocrites. The church will always have hypocrites. That's just the way it is. The Bible was full of it. Ananias and Sapphira. Judas was part of the twelve. People will say, well, why why wasn't Jesus spiritual enough to see Judas? Well, he saw Judas. Has nothing to do about that. Yes, people will hurt, people will offend, but I just want that those that are searching for a Savior to be able to find a Savior. In search of a Savior. Let's all stand today. In search of a Savior.